Shalom, shalom, shalom. Hey, what's going on? It's Michael Sano. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the 12 Cities in Israel podcast. I have the honor of sitting across the table from Molly Livingstone, a stand-up comedian, a blogger, and a alternative thinking consultant, which, yeah. oh my gosh, what the heck is that? Yeah. Um, how are you? I'm good. Only an alternative thinking consultant could make up that title, just so you know. <laughs> no. Where did you so come up full with that? Of it. Well, I think that it's very important to use improvisation as a tool in life. So I always, when I'm teaching, I say it's not about performing on stage. It's the performing on the stage of life. And so for me, that leads to an alternative way of thinking. Because humans, we like to say no, we like to ask questions, we don't listen, and all the rules of improv reteach us how to actually open our minds, listen to each other, ask, make statements, and say yes. And that's alternative. So that's awesome because, you know, I knew, I, I know of all the other things you, you've done in media, and I do know about your comedy and I've watched some of it and it's hilarious and, and your you. your tales of acclamation are legendary. Yeah. Um it's but real life. And to find out from you know from you right now that that stand up apparently is the heart of who you are. Mm. That's what it's what seems my like. therapist says, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Now a little bit about you. Um where are you from? Where did you grow up? So I grew up in L.A., right? So that okay. makes sense that then I'm in stand-up. <laughs> I think from basically a very young age, I wanted to be a movie star. I didn't want to be an actor because the actor that I knew was my substitute teacher because he couldn't get work, <laughs> right? So I knew that you had to really aim very high. And I just wanted it so badly. But also, I didn't do well with rejection. And so you do get rejected a lot. And you're supposed to be like, eh, screw them. And, you know, they didn't know anything. <laughs> but I took it really personally every time. And so my dad, who was my manager, and he was my man. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. That just, that's that's well, a joke in itself. I apologize. You have like the Kardashians with the momager, mm -hmm. right? So my dad, my dad was definitely in it for the money. Let's be very clear. <laughs> he is a Jewish man that grew up in like post-World War II. He was like, I'm doing this so that I get the full 15%. I'm like, isn't it 10? He's like, 15%. <laughs> so he, but he saw my soul was being crushed. So I always steered around comedy and acting, and I did it. I, I was always involved. I went to a, a musical high school, Hamilton High School. They had a music program um, where you, it was like uh, fame. So I majored in drama. Wow. Yeah, you don't want to hear me sing. Even the shower <laughs> turns off when I sing. Um, and, and I just kept going with it. And my dad encouraged me to be a lawyer. Again, he said, you can perform and act. Did he still want the 15%? Oh, always. <laughs> That was always very clear. Um, and I didn't want to do a three-day bar test, so that was out. So I, I veered into journalism, mm -hmm. and I did that for a while. And I really like the journalism aspect of the performing and the hosting, and then always comedy, always comedy in the background. So I did stand-up, improv, storytelling, all of it. Wow. Holy yeah. cow. And um, when you come to Israel, by the way, all of that is used as your coping mechanisms. Like, that's how you survive is by laughing at yourself. And so that became really a fundamental part of me. 
Well, okay. So you're from LA. Mm-hmm. Um, you're living the LA Jewish experience. Okay. So what? I don't even know what that is. Um, it's a very Jewish. <laughs> what prompted you to pick up everything mm. and move to an entirely different country? But this is a sad story. Yes. Oh my God. So I went to Camp JCA Shalom which unfortunately was burned down last year in the Malibu fires. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was just talking to someone like, I have to sit Shiva for it. That's how it feels. <laughs> it was really painful. Um, I did write a blog about that, by the way, for the Camp Foundation. Um, so I went there my whole life, mm-hmm. and Camp helped me define who me is. Because school was like, meh. But Camp, one day of Camp was who you were going to be. And I had these very significant counselors who were mentors, And then I became a counselor, and they were higher up on the ladder. One of them was Marla Bennett. Marla Bennett was studying in Israel at Pardesan Hebrew University, and she came back, and she said, anyone want to do a bar bat mitzvah that never did one? And I was like, oh, I never did one. I was that kid that was like, I don't care if I get presents. I don't believe in, like, (laughs) Judaism yet, and da-da-da-da. So I I didn't have a bat mitzvah. And so at 18, at camp, she did that for me. And when we were studying... I would say that she loved Jeru- she loved Israel, and I could see Jerusalem stone in her eyes, but I had never seen Jerusalem stone, but I could see wow. it. So I wanted to visit her, and then the intifada broke out, and I was like, I'm good right here. I'll come next year, and you'll be back. But Marla never came back because Marla was killed in the bombing in 2002 at Hebrew University the day before she was supposed to come back to camp. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So... I told you it was going to be a sad story. Um, Because of that, I felt I owed it to her to go to Israel and see what it was that compelled her to love this country and feel so good about being a Jew and Jewish peoplehood. And so I did. I went on birthright. I did hike and bike. And I don't know if I fell off the bike too many times, (laughs) but I fell in love with the country. And the way I describe it to people is like, It's like when you fall in love because that person isn't the funniest, smartest, right? But for you, they are all of those things. And so Israel, it's that complicated, I love you, I live for you, I hate you because it's so close, you know, love and hate. (laughs) I want to fix you, I want to make you better, I want you to make me better. It's a love story. And so I, I had this hole in my heart now after birthright probably from all the drinking. And then I had to, <laughs> I had to come back and I did an internship. That was my plan. My parents were like, my dad was like, if you went to Paris, you'd feel the same way. Maybe, but I didn't go to Paris. Mm. I went to Israel. So I did my internship so that he felt good that I wasn't just going to go off the track. Um, and I did my last semester abroad. I did it at Hebrew university, but I could never ever go to what I considered a graveyard, which was the Frank Sinatra cafeteria where she, and, and I think there were a lot of people that died that yeah. day. It was uh, international, you know, because it was an international school. So you had a whole international group of people that were attacked that day. Um, and I never went over there. I would walk by it and I would just, uh, I would feel like, how are people eating? I mean, of course it was re- rebuilt. How are they eating on her grave? And then one day, my camper, who was now an adult, came to Israel and said, well, I'd like to go see it. And so then I put on my, you know, camp counselor face, and we went in together, and I, and I got past it. But, you know, her favorite book was The Giving Tree, and she was just that. She was such a giving, loving person. 
And she brought me to Israel and I got it. And she, every time I do something good, it's Marla to me. She was the definition of good. And I, I, I still not over it. It's weird. It was 2002. You, you don't have to be. Why should yeah. you be? I don't know. I, I don't know if there like should be closure or not to it, but yeah, but that's why I'm here. That is really why I'm here. Well, it's interesting you say that there should be closure mm. um, because there there's closure in a way, but there's also remembrance and remembrance is important. I mean, the entire concept of Yad Vashem mm-hmm. falls into line with how you feel about the Frank Sinatra cafeteria. I know it seems like they're not related, but they absolutely are. Yeah. Well, what's so great about being in Israel and about death like this and and being, look, every Israeli probably knows someone that died in a war or a terrorist attack, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like the sad facts. But yet, what's so amazing about Israeli culture is how much they make fun of these things as a way of surviving, meaning it's very Jewish to be dark. And Israel does it the best because we are the the, the Jewish state, right? So we have to be like the best at making horrible, dark comedy jokes. And so that's where I really found my footing here in Israel. <laughs> not to say that I'm like sitting there making fun of you know, Marla no, or jokes, not at all. And not to say that I don't think that, you know, the Holocaust existed or this or not to take it seriously. In fact, there was a writer because I, I really went on a journey with this mm-hmm. and I created a comedy lecture. Why do Israelis laugh about war, terror, and the Holocaust? And I interviewed a writer from Eretz Naderet, which is like the Daily Show and Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. mixed together. And he said, listen, there's nothing funny about the Holocaust. But there is everything funny in surviving it. Boom. Israel. Wow. Like, to me, that is what represents Israel. Um, that kind of humor of we own it. It's ours. And we're not going to hide it. We're going to expose it. We're going to make it ours. Well, because that was one of my questions yeah. that I had specifically for you. And it was sorrow, pain, war, all of that. Mm-hmm. We... And it's not that we wear it as a badge we because we don't like to see ourselves as victims, but we do celebrate our stepping through it. Not stepping past it, but stepping through exactly. it. Exactly. And That's if you humor. Yeah, but it's everywhere. It's in the art, it's in the poetry, yes. it's in it's in everything. Why? Why do we, why are we able to do that versus other groups who may not be able to do mm, it? Why do Jews run Hollywood? Yes. <laughs> I think that we're, I don't know. It's a really good question. I feel like Jews, well, I can't speak for like, I don't know what Christians feel, but I feel like we are very vulnerable and we'll put ourselves out there a lot more. Like, all Jewish comedian male writers know they have like tiny penises and like (laughs) the only way they're going to have girlfriends is because they're Jewish. They're writers, sorry, not Jewish because they're comedy writers, you know, like they know it and they put it out there and they're not afraid of like kind of boasting their weaker elements. They use it to their advantage. Okay. And so I think that we, maybe we do that as a peoplehood. Maybe we like take it like even, so when I was researching, even in the Holocaust, they had to perform shows for the Nazis, right? Like, at the end of the day, the Nazis wanted entertainment. Wow. Yeah. And so what they would do 
is they put inside jokes into the performances. And that is power. They could never take that away from us. And we could get the jokes and they weren't in on it. And that was our power. So we were vulnerable to who we were. Mm-hmm. We were honest. And that gave us community and gave us strength. Not that we won the Holocaust because we were funny. Because we didn't. But like <laughs> it was a lot of other weaponry. You know, so. No, definitely, yeah. definitely. Um, now, in, in, in line with that, there is, and I specifically remember an instance when I was at Ulpan down at Ben-Gurion University, and there was an off-color Holocaust joke from mm. an Israeli yep. uh, when we were at, uh, we had taken a trip to Har Herzl. Uh, and Which Har Herzl for everyone is, is the war cemetery. Yeah. So we had a lot of students who were just American students who yeah. just, I can't believe this. There were a yep. lot of complaints yep. and, and people turned to these students, you know, staff and said, you don't get it. Yep. So in line with that, with that kind of culture shock for them who came to Israel, what was it like for you culture shock wise? Was this something that you had never experienced before? And if so, if it didn't shock you too much, what were some things that, Look, I did a comedy show last night here at the Dancing Camel in Tel Aviv. That I missed. I was invited. I had technical difficulties. That's, Sorry. That's what you say. <laughs> you were washing your hair. Um, so he, the one of the comedians, the host, did a joke about Kobe Bryant. And it fell flat on the audience because there were a lot of Americans. And for them, it's too soon. Mm-hmm. The same question uh, came up in 9-11, right? Like, when do we start making fun of that? Like, how soon after? And in Israel because it's always constantly happening, the answer is just tomorrow, today, whatever you want. Like, you just got to get through it, through the humor. It's just, it's not, again, it's not that these Israelis are being horrible, insensitive people. It They are coping. If you look at it like that, we are coping. That's why Israel's actually one of the happiest countries in the world. It makes no sense. They're constantly at war. There's terror attacks. Everyone hates you. They're BDSing everything. And yet the people are happy and it will be okay. Why? Because we cope. And the way we cope is that we laugh and we live for the moment, right? So that's what we're doing. And that's what this soldier, oh, I assumed he was a soldier, the Israeli, but at heart rehearsal. No, no. No, because my story was (laughs) that, you know, like I'm I'm on birthright in Yad Vashem. Mm -hmm. It's such a powerful moment. And they do make the soldiers who are on the trip with you wear a uniform when they go to these two places, Har Herzl and Yad Vashem. And one of them turns around and I think he's going to be so profound because they are more mature. You mm-hmm. know, like I'm a 20 year old dummy in college. Like I might be <laughs> smart on the books, but I, I don't know how to be independent. This kid is 20 and he holds a gun every single day of his life and has to defend a country. Wow. And so he turns to me and he says, Molly, I'm like, yeah, do you want to hear a Holocaust joke? And I'm like, what? <laughs> We're in Yad Vashem. The shoes are right over there. And it just, it was shocking. Or another example I give, and when I talk about this in the lecture, is uh, I was on a bus, terrifying, intifada. I mean, boom, every everything's blowing up left and right, the cafes, the buses. And I get off, and my, one of the Israelis says to me, your phone is the bomb. And I'm like, excuse me, my phone is the bomb? <laughs> why would they do this to me? Like, can you take it apart? I heard Israelis are smart. Like, why? And he was using the catchphrase from the 90s, 
in like 2005, which I guess it took 15 years to make it over here. <laughs> and he was joking, like he was being funny, right? He's like, the boom, the boom. And I'm like literally pooping myself like this. You can't make this kind of a joke, but you can and you must. And now here's where I am today, right? Like I was at a party at WeWork and they had sushi everywhere, but they were giving speeches. So you're not allowed to take it. And we're just like all Pavlovian dogs. Like I went to sushi and there was the people in the back and Mm -hmm. they started taking it. And I like go to a total stranger. I'm like, Hey, those are the ones that would have survived the Holocaust. (laughs) And he's like, what? And I'm like, Oh, okay. Right. Just don't go up to strangers. (laughs) A big Holocaust joke. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Oh, another great one was recently, like a couple months ago. It's so hard to remember. There was like a flare up of rockets that that Someone little did thing something yeah. and then they okay and uh and there was a guy there they these israelis fear nothing the only thing they fear is snow okay just make that very clear <laughs> hamas if you're listening please do not start shooting snow at us we will be gone you will get the jews in the sea um so anyways there was there were rockets <laughs> and they like to film the rockets because they're not afraid of them. They are, they're flying trash cans for them, okay? They're, like, full of shrapnel crap. And so these is, televisions are filming a rocket flying over, and, and there's a siren, right? Mm-hmm. Now, one poor fool thinks this siren is for Yom HaShoah, for the Holocaust <laughs> Day, because we do. We use that siren to stand still and remember for... Was it at the same time? No, not at all. No, not at all. It's in April, and this was, like, I think October, November. And they're they're laughing at this idiot. He's out of his car. <laughs> he should be down on the ground holding his head. And they're like, Adon, like, sir, it's not Holocaust Day. And he's just so, he's so standing, so still, so beautiful. And it's a real siren. Like, this is an actual attack. It's not Holocaust. And it's so funny. It's so funny. And I'm not laughing at this man. I'm laughing very hard at this, man. Yeah. You know? So it's these stories and these instances that made me absolutely, absolutely fall in love with your show (laughs) and fall in love with listening to you. I was, you guys were my laundry. Okay. And what I'm going to tell you is the five at five, right? That was the name of the show. The five at five was on every day but it was put up on youtube and i would watch it and fold all the laundry because i was a stay-at-home dad at the time and um how did you wind up at the voice of israel yeah that's a good question well i I had done the big falafel and i dabbled all over with improv and everything and then they were putting together this well do you want to step back and tell us what the big falafel oh sure okay so I got into blogging when blogging just started. So for the like Gen, what are they? Gen X, Gen Z, just Gen Suck It. I can't remember. <laughs> um, blogging wasn't just like a normal thing we all did, right? Mm-hmm. And it was starting up and me and my friend, Rebecca Markowitz, it was really her idea. She was like, there's no information out there, especially for new immigrants here in Israel. And I want to inform people. And I was like, that's great. I don't want to inform people. I just want to tell them about what's really happening. She's like, I think we're saying the same thing. So she would give like the tachlis, the real information. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like 15 ways to get your driver's license in Israel. Really important. 
And then I would write about how dumb the test was. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I think both of them were equally as important. Oh, absolutely. So that's where it started from, the big falafel. She took that from John Stewart from The Daily Show. Okay. Um, one time he had said something like, from the big apple to the big falafel. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, I like that. <laughs> Mine. So we used it. And we were the only ones kind of out there doing it. So people really responded well to it. They appreciated the information. And then when this came up for Voice of Israel, and they were looking for someone, you know, to have a balance with a woman and someone different, so they approached me again. And so I took the big falafel from paper or Mm -hmm. internet to radio. Wow. And it was totally exciting because I, my stu- I studied journalism. My first day of school at Emerson in Boston uh, was September 11th, 2001. Yeah. How yeah. about that? Watching that and Journalism 101, it was pretty dramatic watching the second plane. You know, I got into the elevator. People were like, some idiot hit the, you know, Twin Towers. Like, they crashed into it. We thought it was an accident. Yeah. And then by the time I got to class, it was very clear that this was being, this was deliberate. And now we were watching the second one. And my teacher came in and he's like, welcome to Journalism 101. Class dismissed. We're like, oh. Intense. Yeah. So I I always, I have a passion for journalism because I'm a storyteller, right? I yes. really So I really want to tell the story all the time. And so I got to actually then become a host of The Big Falafel. And it was given to me to also produce it. Like I had a producer, but it was my ideas, whatever I wanted to bring to the table. It was so exciting. It was like for me, it was, it was, it was my dream job. In the dream location, biked to work in a beautiful place with crazy people that I worked with. Crazy people. I mean, <laughs> ideas would come up and like... It, it was, we take it to the next level every time. And then I got to do the same thing. Like, I'd be like, I want to interview someone that's into coexistence. And then like, I'd find some Egyptian who's been arrested for wearing an IDF shirt in Egypt on TV. Really? Yeah. That's Ahmed Magili, I think he was. Um, So like, and I could interview him and I would get him on the phone and I was like, he, he would, he's like, are you working for Mossad? I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> Actually, I tried to apply for Mossad, just so you know. And this is why I don't get hired, because I've literally told every single person <laughs> that I applied. And it was like from a Facebook ad. So really, there was never going to be a chance for me. They were like, what would be the best quality you could bring t- to the table as a Mossad agent? And I'm like, I'm a very good liar. Which I am. Improv is, I teach kids. I'm like, you guys want to learn how to lie really well? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, good. That's what we're going to do today. Oh my gosh. So anyway, so I got, I had all this freedom to do whatever I wanted. To interview whoever I wanted, whether it be about pluralism within Mm -hmm. Judaism or the coexistence. The real Israel, the Israel I saw on a daily basis that I didn't feel was ever making the news. And I'm not sure to this day still does. And that's what I was doing. That's phenomenal. That is amazing. And and the thing that I liked about it the most is you were that divergent opinion. Yeah. You were that. Isn't that fun for me? Oh, I am so sorry for saying. <laughs> and some of those episodes were pretty harsh, but, yeah. but you stood your ground and that was absolutely impressive. Yeah. You never cowered. And some no. of these people had really intense personalities. Oh, yeah. We would like go to break. I don't know if they showed breaks, but no. like. 
it would be very intense in that room. Like there was no, it was like, why would you say that? I think break was just where we could actually curse, you know, and say <laughs> it was the same thing except with bad words mixed in. And that oh was, diff- yeah, it was really intense. But always afterwards you go back and you're, you're fine. But you would always other. show back up. So, I mean, yeah, well, there you well, go. Again, that's the same question my therapist asked me. Why did you keep going back, Molly? <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. So after um, Voice of Israel went to the side, um, <laughs> what happened? What, what did you do? <sighs> that was tough because it was, as I said, my dream job. And, and from I, what I understand, I don't mean to interrupt. It was sudden. It was. Yeah, it was. It really was like I just I describe it to people as like my coffee cup was still on the table. My sweater was on the back of the chair. I was not prepared for what was coming. Um, I was a little bit in denial because we kind of knew we weren't getting paid and we're like something's weird. But I loved what I was doing so much. I just I couldn't look at it, you know. Yeah. And then there was talk about a 2.0 and there was talk about something else. And and I, I did go on to do other projects that were trying to do similar things. Mm-hmm. Um, there was full frame media. So they took, they took the same idea, the big falafel, and then they made it like a 10 minute web series. And then that lost funding, you know, it's just like everything loses funding. Okay. Now I do all of this out of pocket. It's an expense. It really is. That must be. Yes. But I am here to tell you that you need to get back on YouTube (laughs) because it is such a fun, exciting vibrant little journey that you take people on and it's got your flavor to it you know how water just tastes like water but this tastes like wow and that's exactly what it is it's because you can go on and that's one of my criticisms of some of the english language uh israeli television is that it's a little static Mm. Mm -hmm. and you don't have that staticky cling. Um, Thank you. And so please, have you thought about it? Have you thought about reviving it? So also, uh, was it last year or two years ago? There's the Mideast Beast, which is like the onion online, like it's a satirical magazine. And then they did a podcast and I was on that. So I was doing that. Yeah, I would like to do it. I would really, really like to do it. It's hard, but I want to, do it because I think it's so necessary and I think that they're just experiences that I want people to experience I don't know with me through me but yeah so here's the thing and here's a deal I'll make with you Mm. and it's on camera so so it's real um absolutely I have access through some of my sponsors to equipment and gear and stuff like that anything you need you let me know We'll get the best price for you. If we can, we'll give it to you. Yeah, I need a jet. I'm working on it. Okay. I got to get mine first. <laughs> That's after my Goldie looking chain. Um, big old uh, Magen David, I like want, uh, yeah. like subliminal. I want like a gold tooth then. Aww. I'm always going to try to one-up you, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Wow. Why um, I keep coming back, yeah. Now, the big falafel... It's on your radar. It's something you'd like to continue. Yeah. What about a podcast? Yeah. Podcast, they're easy. Yeah. You set up a space, mm-hmm. you drop the mic down, and then you go. Yeah. Have you thought about it? You said you've yeah. been on a number of them. Yeah. I actually, yes. The answer is yes, I want to do it. 
And actually, I want to do it. I had a friend that I made that he was a reporter at Voice, Voice of Israel. <laughs> I have a friend that I made. I know. I have a that friend that I weird. made. It's invisible. Um, Raoul Woodliffe. Okay. Okay. He was one of the reporters and he was also one of the more liberal people there. So we would like cower in a corner and be like, why are they hurting us all the time? They're so mean. He also, he was British. So his voice was very attractive um, on air. Like you would listen to him more than me. Although I do have a sex operator voice, right? Or sometimes people say it's a cartoon voice, which makes me concerned. Um, that they would both be the same thing. Um, but I really would like to do stuff with him because I think he, again, he's like that Rebecca for me. He brings all the knowledge right now. He's a times of Israel correspondent, political correspondent. Um, he's so funny. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on air, but he's figured out how to bring marijuana into the Knesset. And I'm like, please write about it. Okay. Yeah. Hi. But by the way, just so you know, there's the Green Party. And he yes. would say, like, he thought he was cool. But then the Green Party was at the Knesset. And, like, literally, they're just all vaping inside the room. Like, eh, what's up? So he was like, oh, you guys figured this out, too. Really well. Um, but he's, like, that kind of person. He has both sides. He, can, he, he, has, he knows all the political. He knows it all. He's interviewed everybody. He has all the knowledge. And then he also has the, the like, the back end of like what's really going on, okay. which I think is interesting. So that's why I I would team up with him. And you guys could bounce off of each other. I think yeah, that'd I be think really so. good based on what you've said. That yeah. sounds and then I would make him like get people to in, to do the interviews. I'd be like, I want this person, but then he would do the work. And I would ask the questions. So that would be really great. Oh that's uh oh a party foul. Yeah, that's uh Apologize. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> that was Raul calling me. You can't, you can't bloody say that about me. I don't smoke pot because they haven't given me my card. That was a horrible British accent. My dad's British. So wait a minute. Your car, can you do that here now? Smoke pot? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Well, Actually, don't say yeah, of course, because a lot of people don't know. I mean, if people can see I'm nine months pregnant, they'll get really angry if I'm like, yeah, of course, I just did. No. Um, you can, they're trying to legalize it. Okay. I think they decriminalized it. That's what I had heard. Yeah. And Israel actually is one of the fastest growing, like, pot creators. That's not a real word, but, like, for Startup Nation, mm-hmm. we've, like, made new kinds of THC. I don't know. Because we're but, really good at that. Yeah, stuff. we're really good at that. It's really honestly true. And so we will survive uh, one, never again. Um, with the pot, the pot will bring us where we need to go. It's the pot of gold. It is. Thank you for this. What are you, uh, what are your future plans? If you don't mind. Like, what am I doing later today? Um, let's look a little more long term. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have this baby. She's very low already. This is my fourth. Thank you so much. I did stand up last night. Which was interesting because I thought the punchline would be like a crowning of the head. But it wasn't. It wasn't. But I talked all about my vagina and there were a lot of yeshiva boys. And I was like, I feel weird, but also excited to do this in front of you. And then we were talking off off <laughs> yeah. camera and I was saying how, you know, words like vagina. I'm going to I'm going to like take a left when you wanted me to go right right now. But I just wanted to go back to a little bit of culture because I've learned within Judaism and Hebrew, like there's all this weird stuff happening, for example, because you said you were in Olpan learning Hebrew, right? Yes. So there's 
the shit they teach in Old Pond, mm-hmm. which doesn't help anybody, by the way. Like, I've tried. I used to be like, oh, I'll go up to this guy at the bank because I'm going to be number 1,008, even though it only goes to 100, right? And then I'll have the wrong papers, and then they'll ask me to fax it, and I'll cry, and I'll scream, and I'll they'll be like a molly-shaped through the glass door when I run through it, and then they'll be on... Okay. So, okay. Anyways, the point is, is that I was going to be brave and tap a guy and ask him where he's from. And I said, may I inata? And that's what they teach you in Opan. Where are you from? Oh, they don't even teach you that anymore. They taught me that. May I inata? So my husband, who's an archaeologist, literally was like, they have not used that since the second temple period and you need to stop. <laughs> it's me fota. Okay. Like, but that's what they're teaching in Opan. So then you get out into the real world. And if you're brave enough, you start to try to speak Hebrew with a horrible, thick American accent with an ayin that will never exist because it's in a black hole at the end of your throat <laughs> as an Anglo. Um, and you get out there and you start to learn stuff. So I learned like your vagina is called a nartique. Not your vagina, mine. And today on Chamesh but Chamesh, <laughs> um, go on. Okay, a nartique. A nartique is also a cell phone case. What? It makes sense. I mean, in, a, in an offensive <laughs> way. Your vagina is a case. That's what we're telling you. Your vagina is a case. But like, that's amazing. Like, it's so crazy. It's such good material. Or like when I, my son goes to a religious school, which mm-hmm. you probably didn't realize <laughs> by everything I've said up until now. Um, and for first grade, you have to wear uh, the religious paraphernalia, right? You got your kippah and you got your whatever they're called. So, okay, good. Thank you. You led right into the joke because when I asked the rabbi for them, I asked for tzitzim. Tzitzim gedolim. Tzitzim are not tzitzit. Very close, but tzitzim are boobs. So I was asking a rabbi for big boobs. I kept showing him big boobs. Tzitzim gedolim. Tzitzim gedolim. I'm trying to get my first grader big boobs. So he was like concerned, like, is she having a seizure? What's up, Right. This is constantly, constantly my battle. So it's like these words and this culture, I'm always just just a little bit wrong on the outside. I married a Yemenite. Why? Why would I do that? My name is not Molly. It's Muli here. His last name is Tanami with the Ayn. So I'm Muli Tanami, which is Chinese food. Like it's just, it's, it's all too much. So what were you saying? My future. Because that's my past, present, and probably my future. My future is pretty wide open. I mean, it's pretty exciting. I want to do these things. You know, I have ideas. I think comedy is a very powerful tool. It's a healing tool. So part of me wants to do like a wellness center that's based off of fun, pure fun, and have it be in Israel. I want people to, and actually in Jerusalem, because I want people to come to Jerusalem, not just because it's the holiest city, but because they're going to go to a wellness center that's fun and fun for adults. Like I want us having pillow fights. I want pancakes shaped in whatever animal of your choice. Like that's what I want. I want us to have fun. That's what comedy does. It's fun. Um, so that's like something. And then I was like also thinking of a Tinder for comedians, which sounds dirtier than it actually is. <laughs> it's more like helping patients who medical clowns scare me. All Medi- clowns, clowns all, scare all, everyone. All, they're so, all terrified. Yeah. So, but humor is great for healing. So you would kind of be like, if you were a friend of your friend who's sick in the hospital and you want them to get someone funny here, 
but you know she doesn't like slapstick. She's not going to do the Holocaust humor. Ah, here's someone. So it's like a swipe right on this comedian. And then the comedian would come in and do shtick, like just talk to your friend in a funny way. That's phenomenal. That's fun. So those are like, I think I always have ideas floating around. Okay. Um, Improv. Improv is huge for me, teaching the rules of improv, um, especially to the youth, to give them confidence um, and to make them listen because we're not listening anymore. I hope people are listening to this podcast. Well, that's the purpose of this is to get people to start to converse. Um, Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to put all of your um, social media stuff in the description of the YouTube video. Okay, great. Molly, thank you. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It has been a pleasure. It's been an honor. Um, Are there any events coming up that you want to plug real quick? Well, I had my show last night, so that's over. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Not right now, but now you got my juices flowing. I got to think of, I need to make an event, don't I? All right. Yes, you do. And I'll put it, I'll put it in there. Okay. That's what she said. Good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's it. (laughs) He's too embarrassed to end the show. Yellow boy. It's no good. No, that was so good. Tonight.